What did you do to my sign? I wrote the same, but in different words. Thanks, love. Change your words, change your world. Well, I like it, and it's true. In a sense, that is all true, the whole idea. But something was lost in this video. Maybe it's because they used a sighted actor to play the part of the blind man. <laughs> but if this was a real story, what is missed is that the man is still blind. The message is that the man is blind. Okay, well, their message is by our services. <laughs> but how best to say it to achieve the desired result? Pastors end up with the same issue when they reach scriptures like this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven, but their end is destruction. Hey, I'm going to live forever in a glorious new creation, but um, unless you're changed, you're going to hell. <laughs> Not exactly the words we might should use to bring our message to the world. <laughs> Maybe say the same thing, but with different words. And in fact, is that the message at all? We spend a lot of time talking about our glorious eternal future, and we should. It drives us to live right in the here and now. Sacrificing our lives here makes ultimate sense only when we think about our exciting future, our exciting eternity. And the thought of our future is exhilarating, but then there's that flip side. What does eternity hold for those who will not make it to the new creation? We use the word heaven to mean our lives in eternity as heaven, that is to say God, intends them to be. We will actually live in a new physical creation, a new heaven, cosmos, and earth. It will be glorious beyond anything this tired old universe can possibly imagine. And we will have eternity to explore this new creation, all while enjoying our own perfection given to us by our God and Savior who will live with us when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All of this, and much more, is heaven. It's incredible. But if we use the word heaven in such an expansive way, does the word hell carry the same <clears throat> linguistic breath? Does it mean that much the same future reality awaits those headed in that direction, only reversed from the good we will experience? To answer that, we need to know what hell is. Biblically speaking, of course, our concern is what God said in his word. So what does scripture say? Who is hell created for and who ends up there? 
How long will it last? When does it start? How do those who end up there get there? Why will hell exist? And how? <laughs> oh, Lord, how? And when? And to whom do we talk about it? So we come to that first question, what is hell? To say this is a difficult subject is an understatement. <laughs> Nevertheless, listen to this excerpt of what Jesus said about his own return. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He will separate people one from another and those will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Most people are surprised to find out that one person in the Bible taught more about hell than anyone else. In fact, almost as much as everyone else put together. Any guesses? Jesus, yeah. Jesus taught more about hell and eternal punishment than any other person in the Bible. Why? <laughs> it's only my guess. But I think it's because he understood the most. Remember, he's the eternal son. He knows the reality better than anyone and wants no one to go there. And yet, the reality of heaven or hell eternally is absolute. There is an either or or eternity coming up. He, of all people, knows the reason it's in the scriptures. He understands. So he spent a lot of time talking about it. Which brings us to an obvious question. Why is it there? Why all this talk about hell? Because it's a warning. <laughs> I've used this illustration before. Driving down the road, no speed limit, doing 90. The sign says, bridge out, turn around. What, are you going to just keep driving? <laughs> You're going to smash through those barriers because you just don't like that the bridge is out. I don't like there to be a hell, so I refuse to believe in the one who can keep me from it. <laughs> Doesn't sound all that smart when you say it that way. So why would Jesus talk about hell? To warn people, you don't want to go that way. And when someone warns another person, one expects a response. Indeed, the response is required and very real. If you don't want to fly off into the abyss, you've got to stop the car and turn around. Turn back, go the other way, repent. And that's where the sad truth scripture points out comes in. Some people don't want to slow the car down. Some people will not turn around. They'd rather crash and burn than be told by anyone what they must do. When people hear about hell, they all react. <laughs> Their perception will either be this is truth or this is a lie. If it's that second one, then it is a direct rejection of Jesus and his teaching. So there is a responsibility, every person to God, believe him or reject him. But there's also a responsibility of ours. We must say words about hell, but in the right way. <laughs> so let's start with this. What is hell? Well, this guy dies. He, well, he goes where he thought he would. <laughs> Demon says, you get to see through three different doors. And then you'll have to choose one. Be careful, because whichever door you choose will be where you'll be for all eternity. He sees these thousands of doors. He walks along and finally says, okay, how about that one? The door opens and all these people are in a carpeted room standing on their heads. Oh, that looks rough. After a nervous interval, he picks another door. 
When they open it, he sees a room full of people again standing on their heads, but on a hardwood floor. Whoa, I thought that last one was bad. Only one more door to look into. It's hard to choose, but he finally picks one. At first, he can't believe it. All these people are standing there sipping coffee. Coffee! But then he remembers the other rooms and he looks down. Ew, what's that? They are standing in an inch of the vilest looking stuff he's ever seen or smelled. All right, his evil guy says, pick one! The pressure's on, his brain is spinning. Finally, he blurts out, here, I'll go here! He walks in. Oh, it's horrible to feel that muck on his feet. But some demon walks up and hands him a cup of coffee. He takes a sip. Not bad. Okay, I can do this for all eternity. And just then, the head demon cries out, Okay, coffee breaks over. Back on your heads. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard that joke before. It's a favorite of mine. (laughs) And okay, that's not hell, all right? Just in case you were wondering... (laughs) But sometimes serious subjects need a little humor to help them be a bit more palatable. So what really is hell? To find out what hell is, it might be good to ask, what is salvation? Salvation has three elements, past, present, future. There was a time when you did not believe. Now you do, I hope. (laughs) But we still fight our old selves God still helps us in the process of sanctification. So there is a future time when we will be ultimately saved, when we, you and I, will be perfected in Christ. Body, soul, spirit. Absolutely perfect. The reverse has a mere terrible future. You see, there was no time in their past when they chose Jesus. Instead, they keep choosing self. And that self will never achieve perfection. Everyone's being driven forward by something or someone. The spirit would be the one that you want. (laughs) But they do not. The writer to the Hebrew people of Jesus' day wrote, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? That's frightening. We need to understand that there are three scriptural themes in describing hell as it will be experienced by those persons who exist there. And they can be summed up in these three words. Punishment, destruction, and banishment. Punishment, destruction, and banishment. So, punishment. If you read through the Bible very far, you will eventually run into this phrase. The wrath of God. (laughs) Does not sound good. (laughs) And it relates to this question. How would one trample underfoot the Son of God? In other words... What is unrighteousness? If righteousness is living right, the end result of salvation, what is the lack of salvation? Let's say it this way. If the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, what happens if someone doesn't love the Lord their God? They trample underfoot the Son of God. Treat as nothing what he did to make possible eternal life for humanity. And that other commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, they aren't going to get that right. Okay, they might occasionally do it correctly while still here. They do still bear the image of God. 
But the warning is there. Their very nature will drive them away from love. And that will make the next life death. It will make it hell. But some are still stuck. What about the Bible's claim that God is love? And actually, that's a good point. That's a good one. How can a God of love put people in hell? Well, let's look at a few different ways. First, if you're going to say that God won't put anyone in hell, then Hitler is going to be in heaven. Every murderer, every child rapist, and on and on. You think an unrepentant Hitler might buddy up next to those Jews that he starved and whose children he killed in front of them. Is that love? It's a tough question. The abusers, the terrorists, the murderers, what are you going to do about these people? And what are you going to say to their victims in heaven? Love doesn't sound so easy, so simple. The everybody makes it to heaven answer is too simple. The truth is that love must always be balanced with justice, with holiness, or it isn't love at all. Here's another angle at what is really the same problem. A good God wouldn't let anyone suffer. Hmm. Did Jesus die on the cross? <laughs> Did he not take on all the sin of the world? Is Jesus not of infinite worth? So is his taking on all the sin of the world something of infinite pain? God allowed that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's the whole reason Jesus came into the world. And if you say that God would not allow anyone to suffer, then why is there sin in the world now? How come bad things happen now? You haven't solved anything by positing a future of no pain for everyone, for anyone, of everybody in heaven. Imagining in your heart that there is no hell does not work. It's too simplistic. It's illogical also, and, and it's just not love. Why is there a hell is not the right question. The question that should be asked is, how can a good God save any of these wicked people? Don't say, how come some are saved, but why are any saved at all? The point is that we have to take God in his totality, the sum of his nature, to say it technically, God is not extent in love. Love isn't all that he is. God is love does not equal love is God. There's much more to God than that simplistic picture. So we have no choice but to see that people will be punished. But onto that other description, destruction. Destroyed in what sense? Some try to say it means annihilation. God would never let someone suffer for all eternity, so he must cause them to cease to exist. One theologian tried to counter this by saying, the destruction is functional. <laughs> Not so much help. How about ruination? We had a young woman buy the house next door to us in Federal Way. She was making good money, so she went out and bought a brand new lawnmower. Pulled it out of the car, put some gas in it, fired it up. She made about three passes in the lawn when it started squealing loudly, and then the thing seized up. I know what happened because she came to me later to ask what she should do. I took it back to the store and they said it was all my fault. Really? Why? They said I, said I should have put oil in it. What do they mean oil? <laughs> uh, see right here where it says don't start without checking oil? See in the manual where it says oil in big huge letters? She paid no attention. 
So she brought her destroyed lawnmower to the store and brought it back home. <laughs> Question, was the motor still there? Well, yes, it still existed. It's just destroyed, ruined. People who reject the gift of the grace of, in Christ will be destroyed in hell. What they could have been, what they should have been as human machines, is destroyed. And that's a tough and sad truth. But maybe worst of all is their banishment. Well, banishment from what? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That would certainly be the ultimate in banishment. But we have an interesting problem. Most theologians say this verse means they'll be separated from God. But that's not actually possible in an absolute sense. God is omnipresent. They tend to say God has enormity nowadays. He is, in all places, 100% present. The scriptural text problem, see the Greek doesn't actually have the word away. The scripture literally reads, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now understand, I'm in the minority here. <laughs> Most of my brother and sister theologians will say there is some way in which those in hell are separated from God. But more and more agree with those of us in that other camp. The punishment of eternal destruction comes from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The issue here is whether this is cause or effect. Does their eternal rejection of God and his love cause their suffering because they ceaselessly rebel and fight against his presence and glory which endlessly beats against them? Now, all evangelical theologians would agree that they have chosen to be separated from God's grace. Grace is that from which they are banished. And they are also banished from the new creation. That paradise that we will enjoy, they will be unable to soil. From where the destruction comes is, though, that's an interesting contemplation. Is the glory of God like the sun to us now? Get too close and you'll burn. <laughs> But our new glorious bodies will not only take it, but derive wonderful pleasure from his glory. But those without these new bodies, well, so you're all still breathing, you're okay here? <laughs> it's a tough one. I went six years before I did my first sermon on hell here, so I waited. And it's been, well, actually it's been about another six, seven years, so I don't do this very often, but but we need to know which words will work for us. So some other questions we're going to deal with. For whom was hell created and who ends up there? Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for humans, but some will choose it over submitting to their creator. It becomes very important as we consider this information from the revelation. And the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Tormented? In what way? Well, if the whole glory of God idea is correct, it's easy to see why Satan's arrogant, eternal boasting will cause him and his minions such pain. Remember, they will never repent 
They will never accept the reality of God's position of authority over all that he created. By the way, we usually envision hell as the place where Satan rules, and that is true now. But in this future we call hell, more properly called the lake of fire, neither Satan nor his demons will have authority. They won't have any authority. They do not cause the pain of hell. In fact, I'm convinced that they, like every other person in the lake of fire, will be absolutely isolated from every other person. No one will be able to cause anyone else any pain ever more. The only pain anyone will ever feel is that which is a result of their eternal rejection of the God, of who God is. Remember, they, they never, ever repent. They never stop fighting against God. Never stop hating Him for being their Creator. I think that's the saddest warning of all. And by the way, all of this has a fascinating corollary. If God is eternally present in all His glory to those in hell, then part of that glory is His love and constant offer of redemption. An offer, the Bible warns, they will never take. Only in this life is it possible to change, to turn around, to repent. Am I saying this too many times? (laughs) Well, the end. It ends like this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The measurement used to grant eternal life, the book of life. Our names written there due to the work of Christ. The measurement for judgment, the deeds, the work that they have done. And it will not end well for any of them. Hell, C.S. Lewis said, is the last gift a good God can give to an unrepentant sinner. (laughs) Why, Why would he say that? We talked about the complete isolation, so they will have no chance to increase their guilt by harming anyone else. I suppose that's a gift. But the other part of that is that God gives them what they want. They want to be their own boss in their own universe. So he, in the only way possible, lets them. But who they are, what they are, produces an existence in the light of God's glory that's a tiny and a lake of fire that never ends. Because, and this is the great warning, if they do not change, repent in this life, they never will in the next. This existence will be at their own volition. How long will it last? Once again, it is Jesus who warned, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There is an eternality to the lake of fire. No person breathing on this planet needs to suffer that fate. No one. 
maybe we can find words to warn them. God does not want you to suffer for all eternity. But if you don't change here, he warns you that you never will. Please come to Jesus here, now. <laughs> People don't cease to exist after this life. There's, a, there's an eternality to our ontology, our existence. Think, the, the concept of personhood is eternal. Clearly in God, but also in his creatures. It's only logical. Our existing as persons requires transcendence, separateness in some sense, from God our Creator. Uh, that's what makes us real persons with culpability. and We are made in his image, which means each person must always exist or they're not a person at all. Uh, they would just be an automaton or, or only a thought of God's. But they are real people with a real choice to make. Well, we have so many questions. You know, what is death? Why eternal death? How does sin's penalty and power and presence figure in? Is annihilationism really just universalism in reverse? I think it is. How does purgatory fit into this? It doesn't. Well, it doesn't fit anywhere. But it is an interesting study in itself if you ever want to play with it. And yes, we know eternity begins in some sense when each person dies. But when does that end times judgment occur? There's so many things... That, that we don't have time to consider today. Sorry, we're not going to look at those. <laughs> but how and when and to whom we talk about it, well, that we need to think uh, and deeply about and to pray about it. And we need to be encouraged and to encourage each other. Like in these words of Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Telling people you're going to hell, it's probably not going to be terribly successful. But saying this might help, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We need to say the same thing about hell, but with different words. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will. Raise him up on the last day. I know you can't see the beautiful morning that God is going to create for all those that love him. But that's what I want for you. That is what you will have if you will come to me. That, that is, in effect, what Jesus is promising. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Believe. Believe. <laughs> Don't worry about hell. You don't need to go there. No one needs to go there. Concern yourself with life, eternal life. I'll be there, and I hope you will join me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for telling us about these difficult things. And this scaring people into heaven thing doesn't usually work. I suppose there might be a few people who would work that way, but most of us, most of us need to look at the good side. Most of us need to know why we can have eternal life, how, how we get there. And yes, we have to realize the truth. I mean, you wouldn't have put it in the Scripture if it wasn't important. There are a lot of warnings. Don't go there. Turn around now. But how to say that to people? It's difficult, Lord. And, 
especially those that you give to us that are close to us who don't yet believe. We so desperately want them to understand the importance. And it's hard not to maybe come on too strong. So help us, Lord, to be wise as we talk to people about the reality of hell. And if they bring it up, we'll have to tell them. But help us also to be more than a little obvious about our joy for eternal life. That life is what every person on this planet can have eternally. A perfect, glorious life. Perfect bodies, perfect spirits, perfect hearts, perfect minds. Everything perfect. Because you can make us perfect through your Son. The book of life is where our names are written. And it does not matter what else is written in those other books. It means nothing. As long as our names are in the book of life, we get eternal life. It's all it takes. Everything else doesn't matter. So help us to encourage people. You want your name in that book. Turn to Jesus now. Be one of those that listens and lives eternally so we can enjoy this new creation together. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message, First Heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to visit us online at southbeachhope.org where you can download full transcripts of this and other sermons as well as other helpful files. We are so pleased that we can worship with you via sermon.net but hopefully we'll someday be able to praise God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.